I'm reluctant to bring to a close this hubbub of um, conversation, but um, in the interest of time, we should probably kick off. If I'm chatting to you at the end of the service, and you can see the numbers 834 in indelible pen on the side of my cheek, it's actually, uh, it won't come off, unfortunately it's getting fainter, but it's because Kate and I yesterday did something called the Wolf Run, which was absolutely nuts. But essentially there was about 12 of us from uh, in and around New Malden, and it was a 10-kilometer run, except it was a 10-kilometer run through mud, swimming through rivers, climbing 10-meter-high obstacles. And we did it as a group, and it, we didn't try and do it as quickly as we can. I think the winner did it in something like 58 minutes. We did it in two and a half hours as we ambled around, pushing people over, hauling Kate out of the mud. It was a particular highlight. But I just thought it was interesting that as we did this, we did it together as a community. And actually, if you put September the 28th in your diaries for 2019, I thought it might be quite good fun to get a few of us together. Because it was interesting that just as you do something like that together as a group, it really helps build those friendships. It helps build community. And that's very much what I wanted to talk about today. You know, if we want to be, uh, to be if we want to make a difference in our community, as a church, then we've got to demonstrate that as a church, we're a community ourselves. You know, it's a community that's not just brought together by a common belief, but actually, as a church, we're led by God's Spirit and we reflect His life. So, we're going to talk today about um, what it means to be known and to be loved in King's Church as a family. And, and how do we reflect all of this in the church? Well, as a leadership team, it's something that we've been discussing, uh, had lots of debates over the last few months, and Philip and Patrick have introduced over the last couple of weeks this vision statement about knowing God, being known and loved, and making God known. And we're going to focus on that middle one, being known and loved. And a big part of achieving this family, this church family, is really captured by that middle statement. And that phrase is about us, it's about you, it's about me, and it's very much a, a corporate thing. And it's about the context of the church. And today I'd like to give you a, a flavor of, I suppose, what we think it's like within church to be known and loved. Reflect on, on what that really looks like. And I want to draw together some of the things that Philip really helpfully introduced a couple of weeks ago about a greater family. Uh, I want to draw some of the things that Patrick spoke about, about knowing God. You know, in the Bible, there's a promise to us. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it says, They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then later on, in the New Testament, John chapter 1, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You know, one of the key phrases in both of those verses is the verb to know. And Patrick talked us through kind of what, what the underlying Hebrew actually means. That Hebrew word is yada, and it's, it's just much deeper and much broader than our English word, or the, sort of the interpretation of the word. And it's not about just being intellectually informed. You don't just know something, but you actually experience it. And that's something that I think we really need to hold on to as we talk about being known. You know, if we take these promises that we can know God, then actually, underlying that, there's a relationship with God where we perceive, where we learn, where we understand, 
but also where we were experienced. And I just think and the worship this morning was such a great example of that. It wasn't just something that, we weren't just singing words that speak truth where we know God, but actually it was something that we were experiencing together. So if that's a taster of what it is to know God, then what's it mean for us to know each other within the church? And it's really important that we don't just focus on the knowing bit. And this is something that I guess I'll probably keep on highlighting throughout this morning and also over the coming weeks. Being known and loved is not a phrase that you can split into its two parts. It's not just about being known, and it's not just about being loved. We want to treat them almost as inseparable, so that everything that we do is about being known and being loved together. And we're basing this vision series on John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 43. We read through a lot of it last week. If you want to turn to it in your Bible, please do. We'll be referring to it quite a bit as we um, just go through today. But as we're talking about family today, um, I'm going to touch on different, I guess, personal family reflections as I go through. And just to kick things off, I asked Charlotte, to save me reading all 43 verses, to do a little summary of the, uh, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'll just read it out. So Jesus was walking around when he saw a well, so he sat down, and just as he did, a woman came up to him and got some water from the well. Jesus told her that if he gives the lady living water, it would give her eternal life. The woman went back to the village and told the people about Jesus. The people said to her, we believe in Jesus. I think that's a pretty good, accurate summary. It saves me reading 40 verses, which will take most of the time. But one thing I did want to uh, just repeat is uh, biblically some of the explicit wording, just right at the end in verse 39, because I think it's so helpful for what we want to discuss. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. And what we see here is the, uh, the signs of the beginning of a Christian community. You know, this woman, we know that she was intentionally at the well at a time, midday, pretty much when it was guaranteed that nobody else would be around. We know that Jesus spoke to her about having five husbands and the person she was living with currently wasn't her husband. So it's extremely likely that this woman was completely shunned by her community. It's unlikely she had many friends. It's unlikely that she kind of went about her day-to-day business as a group, as a community. But Jesus met her where she's at. It didn't matter about the cultural differences between Jews and Samaritans. It didn't matter about her, her history. But it demonstrates what it is to know this woman in a really loving way. And the results of that is that she returns to her village. And given the amazement and the excitement that she must have been bubbling with, they listen to her. And they start on that journey as well. And it becomes the beginning of a new community. From perhaps from this place of tension place of distrust, place of dislike. It's actually something where you can see something really forming as, as, as a group of people who know and love each other and know God. These verses, they don't really tell us much about what that community then goes on to become, what it really looks like. But it seems clear that from this one conversation with Jesus, that woman started engaging with the people in her village and they listened to her. 
And they went from this place of judging her and pushing her away to having that something in common, and that something was Jesus. So today I want to kind of break this down into the, the following points. I want to see what does it look like, Go, drilling into the Bible, what a community that knows God and knows and loves each other really is. I want to talk to you a bit about, as King's Church and as a leadership team, what are some of the changes that we've started and want to continue putting in place. And then lastly, perhaps a challenge for us to consider as we go forward. What would you do about it? So at the heart of us understanding what it means to be a community, where we're known and loved, it's important that we dive into the Bible and just really understand what it says. I don't want it to be, and as a leadership team, we don't want it to be just a a collection of thoughts and experiences, but what's the biblical basis for this? And as I was preparing this, though, I also wanted to draw on the experience of others who are probably wiser, Wow, just wiser, more sensible than myself. So in response to the question, what does it mean to be in a church where you are known and loved? Reuben, age 10, said, being known by God, by our family, by ourselves, that we are loved. A church where you can be with God, be with your family, and help each other. Daniel, age 4, thinks a friendly church helps you and looks after you. And Charlotte, who's age 7, says it's a place where people pray for you. So I could probably stop there. I think in itself there's so much truth there. But as I said, let's really spend a bit of time just focusing on what the Bible says. And I've got a load of references that are going to come up shortly, and I'll probably rattle through them quite a lot if you want to take the time to, in your own Bible, uh, open it up, go to the right verse, read through it. Please do so. Um, But I will summarize them quickly as we go. But one thing that I think is really helpful to mention is that the... I guess the language of family is scattered throughout the New Testament. And it's one of the most prominent metaphors that describes the church throughout that New Testament. If we look at the word brother or sister, then that's used 139 times. Father itself is used 63 times to describe the church. And if you look at just Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament, there are 277 family references. And so... This whole language of family, it's scattered throughout the Bible. It's at the heart of the Bible. And so it's so fundamental what it means to be a father or mother in the family of God, brother or a sister. So let me go through some of the, the verses that just help us understand the, the detail behind some of this. So John chapter 1 tells us that for those who believe in Jesus, we get the right to become children of God. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 17, according to, um, according to Paul here and also in the earlier one that we read in John, if we believe in Jesus, we become children of God and we're actually adopted into God's family. We're adopted into that family where we've got God as our perfect father. And we can also see that we're led by his spirit. We're not doing this in our own strength. And we share in the highs. But as we can see here, Paul talks about suffering with God. It's not all all roses. It's not all happy times. You know, we're sharing in suffering in the tough times as well. In Matthew chapter 7, Matthew talks about giving good gifts to your children. Hebrews talks about disciplining us. It says, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. 
The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And in 1 Peter, it talks about actually within that family context, he gives us an inheritance. Then I wanted to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Fundamentally, God our Father loves us. He understands us. In Psalms, it talks about as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And also, throughout the Bible, there's loads of references, as I mentioned earlier, to members of God's church being brothers and sisters. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus stretches out his hand towards his disciples, and he says, here are my brothers and sisters. Sorry, he doesn't. <laughs> he says, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. When Paul's writing to the church, and then in the letter of Ephesians, he says, bear with one another in love. Eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is a spirit of unity. And that spirit of unit, unity has already brought us together as a family. You know, we've been given these great privileges by having God as our Father, haven't we? He's the perfect Father. And we benefit from these privileges of being adopted into God's family. But also, that comes with a real sense of responsibility. Paul specifically tells Timothy to relate to the church and individuals in that church as members of a family. He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Brothers and sisters have a unique ability to know each other. I read out earlier um, Reuben, Charlotte, and Daniel's uh, thoughts on knowing each other. Um, but they've got this unique ability to infuriate each other with a single look or a single movement can just drive each other absolutely round the bend. They know exactly what buttons to push to bring out the worst in each other. And if you've got a sibling, I, I'm sure you can relate to that. And my sister still complains when I was five and cut holes in all of her socks, but blamed it on her successfully. It still comes up in the odd family conversation. But equally, brothers and sisters, they can be real examples, can't they, of uh, some of the deepest relationships that, that we can experience. We know each other in that context so well, uh, but it's also in the context of a family where you love and support each other. You can have difficult, vulnerable conversations with each other and support each other because you know each other and love each other. And we see that in the verses that we've, we've rattled through repeatedly that we're called to build these kind of relationships with each other as spiritual brothers and sisters. We also need people who are like mothers and fathers in the church. Now, I've been really blessed by having a loving and supportive family in my life. You know, I appreciate my mum and dad I guess, striking the balance 
between giving me my independence, um, but equally supporting me throughout my life, including coming up to my halls of residence after my university housemates had sellotaped or gaffer taped my teddy bear to the ceiling, and it had ripped off all the paint. So my dad came with his paintbrush and his pot of paint just the day before the deposit was, the deposit check was about to happen. That, that's a simple example, but that support there, that willingness to go out of your way to, to support your family is so important. And I kind of I try and continue that ethos with my own family. And there's something wonderfully instinctive as well about as you become a parent and that child comes into your life and there's a desire to really put them first. You, know, you put them above sleep, you put them above food, above your own comfort. Parents go out of their way to invest in their children, to give them the best possible life that they can have. And I don't think anything can really prepare you for when your perhaps child is lying sick in bed or comes home in tears after being teased at school. You know, your heart just melts. You want to wrap them in your arms, give them a hug, support them. And I guess I'm overwhelmed by this desire to make family, our family, a safe haven. But you know, it's, it's not a place to hide. It's a place where you can come home. It's a place where there's a seat at the table where you can share your problems and you can be unconditionally loved. And I know that while I try my best to exhibit that and to create that atmosphere and environment, that's not always good enough. I know my weaknesses. I think my family knows my weaknesses even more. You know, and when we talk about being known, it's not just those carefully selected Facebook photos that we put online. It's, it's about being known with the struggles that we've got as well. Because in reality, our families are imperfect, aren't they? I'm so conscious that as we talk about God as our perfect father, and church, where we're a family, that actually that kind of conversation, that kind of language can be quite challenging. It can be perhaps a struggle for some of us. And whilst we should absolutely endeavor to imitate our perfect Holy Father, we've got to acknowledge that we're not perfect ourselves. Our families aren't perfect, but we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it. When I was... Um, I went to a parenting class just before Reuben was born. And one of the best bits of advice that I, I think I've ever been given was to be the best dad that you can possibly be. And I found that just really, really helpful. It's not an easy thing to do. And you've got to have an idea of what you think that best dad actually looks like. But it is achievable. And so just as that advice that I was given to be the best dad that I can be is a challenge for us. And I think that's to be the best family that we can be. And to do that, know that God loves you. As brothers and sisters within the church, know that you are loved. And we've got the Holy Spirit who already helps us and helps unites us. And I appreciate that for some people, perhaps who are single, who aren't a mum or dad, it can be hard, perhaps painful, um, to relate to these familial references. But I would say, please don't switch off. Please don't think that actually this subject doesn't relate to you. Because regardless of our earthly family and our earthly situations and perhaps the pain um, and everything that's gone with that, you're still called to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, a spiritual brother or a sister. It still applies to you and to me. You know, I'd like to share with you a story that I read in the paper last week. And it goes... Attendance at cathedrals rose by 17% between 2006 and 2016, the most recent Church of England figures show. 
In 2016, 37,000 people a week attended services in cathedrals, and a total of 11.3 million people attended at least one cathedral service a year, which is more than a quarter of the UK population. Events such as choral evensong have been particularly popular, with some arguing that millennials are more likely to attend these as they take place in a city centre on midweek evenings. The high standard of traditional music has also been cited as a draw, with many cathedrals retaining professional choristers who lead the services several evenings a week. The bishop argued that these are also popular because they do not require as much participation as other types of service. The Bishop of Chelmsford told the National Cathedrals Conference in Manchester that cathedrals were popular with the young because they were more likely to be left alone during services. The Right Reverend Stephen Cottrell said, I think there are thousands and thousands of people who want to come quietly, who even want to come secretly. And it's getting harder and harder to do that in the modern day, bouncy and accessible Church of England. Cathedrals have a special vocation and opportunity to be somewhere that you can slip into unseen and slip out of unseen. I finished reading that, and my first thought was, wow, that's not a family. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm the first person to advocate the rights of an introvert. People who know me know that I like my space, my time, on my own, and that's how I get the energy, perhaps, to, to then go out and have, have friendships and fun with, with other people. But I still long for those relationships. I still enjoy being in a place where I'm known and loved. Just because I've got a quiet personality doesn't detract from that fundamental, well, I think it's fundamental, human desire, that spirit-led push to have brothers and sisters in Christ. Sure, you, people don't want to be pounced on, uh, but sitting in solitude, and listening to beautiful choral music in a stunning cathedral, well, that's something that I love. I, I enjoy doing that. But that's not church. That's not family. You know, if that person who's snuck in unseen stops coming for whatever reason, who's going to pick up the phone to them and see how they are? You know, who's going to offer to have them around for lunch? Who's going to be there for them when they need someone to talk to? So in that cathedral where you just slip in and slip out unseen. It's not going to happen. So what does all this mean for King's Church? Well, at King's Church, we don't want to be a church where we can slip in and out unseen, be unnoticed, and just go. That person remains unknown to anyone else in the church. I'm pleased that King's Church isn't like that. You know, that's the biggest reason why Kate and I are still here. I think it's a bit scary when you add up the numbers, but 18 years ago, we rocked up at Fernhill School, and we just felt really welcomed. And I still think that's one of our biggest strengths. But I think our strength can also, at times, be a weakness. And the danger is that we can focus too much sometimes on the welcome, and we don't focus necessarily always on building those crucial, deeper, meaningful relationships where people do feel known, understood, and loved. And so, as a leadership team, as part of being known and loved, we really want to build a culture, we want to start building a culture, where we all try and be the best family that we can be. To create a togetherness, perhaps where we, we laugh together, where we support each other, where we can mourn together. To be a church that's open to all, regardless of class, race, age, or sexuality. To be a church that's open to you, wherever you are, 
on your journey with God. You know, if you're still exploring God, trying to get your head round, is, is this somebody that I want to follow? Then this should be a place where you can be known and loved. If you've been a Christian for 60 years, no doubt still learning about God's grace and love. And King's Church should be a place where you can be known and loved. So I guess wherever you are on that scale, it's something that we want to be at the heart of King's Church. A church where if we build on Paul's message to Timothy, young and old, and everything in between, we encourage each other and that we try to be the best mother, father, brother, sister we can be to each other. And it'll be a learning process, won't it? You know, as a church, we, we raise up brothers and sisters. We don't expect perfection, but we do need to learn. And we need to be prepared to grow. And at home, we've been trying to get Daniel, who's our four-year-old, to unload the dishwasher. And at the moment, uh, spoons are going where the forks should be. Bowls are left randomly out on the worktop. There's a few chopping boards that I'm sure we'll find one day. But um, I guess it's a bit of an investment, and it's a really trivial example. But just because he's done it wrong doesn't mean that we say, oh, you're not doing it anymore. He's learning, and he's going to do it time and time and time again. And he'll start getting it right. And and eventually, it'll be second nature to him. It's it's an investment. And I think church can sometimes be a bit like that, that we'll all be learning and we'll all be growing. And at some point, we will also be able to help others learn and grow. We want that to be something very much that that we're good at within King's Church. I don't think you can create this kind of culture where you're known and loved by just rocking up on a Sunday church has got to be not just about me or you as individuals. The family spends time with each other as a group. And without experiencing that group life together, frequently we'll never build those deep relationships. So we want to make King's Church a real place where group life is awesome. So Becca, Mike and Katie really helpfully recently completed a review uh, that the, the leaders within the church asked them to undertake. It was a review of group life within King's Church. And it's just been so helpful uh, to go through some of the detail there. And over time, we're looking at implementing many of their suggestions. So I just wanted to touch very briefly on some of those. It's very much uh, an evolution. It's not a revolution. But there are three key parts uh, that I just wanted to highlight. So firstly, life groups. As part of this, Kate and I have started overseeing all of the life group leaders. Uh, and, and we're there really just to provide support to them in that role. And life groups are going to continue to be the absolute hub of group life, of family life at King's Church. And we'd love you to make life groups a priority. If you're not going to one, please, please do. Come and speak to me, come and speak to Kate, speak to one of the other life group leaders about how you can get plugged into a group. From personal experience, it's just truly the best way, I think, within a church to help build really deep, solid relationships where you can be known and loved. And additionally to that, um, we're going to have what we call, we'll call streams, and these are going to run for a period of time. So that's going to be things like Alpha, perhaps a parenting course, a marriage course. There'll probably only be one or two, perhaps, a term. Or it might be something like an in-depth Bible study in Greek. And we want these to be suggested by and run by other people in the church to create opportunities for them to take a lead. And as a church, we'll help support them centrally. But great opportunity to build relationships with each other, but with our community as well. 
And then last but not least, there'll be events. Um, so uh, one-off events as a church that we, we don't want to make sure that we've got too many, but the ones that we do have are real, really focused, um, perhaps have an outward look to them. And so you'll get more information on this over the coming weeks. So in addition to this, we want to show a real commitment to all age groups and something that we've got a real heart for. Um, we've restarted Ignite on a Friday evening for the 10 to 13-year-olds, and they've had, I think, two sessions already. It's been absolutely brilliant. Some of the kids have been inviting their friends to it, and it's held in Pavilion in Cambry Gardens. And it's just so encouraging just to see that start, and hopefully that will continue to grow. And also, as Philip said, you know, we're continuing to serve our teenagers with a fortnightly meeting in tandem with our church service. I think you'll see a bit of a change in emphasis on a Sunday morning. So we want church to be a place where non-Christians can come and feel welcome, but also very much a place where Christians can be together and continue their journey to explore and encounter God. And we're also talking through uh, how we best develop a culture of praying and ministering to each other on a Sunday. So again, how do we start and that learning process so that we can all grow in that area. And within a lot of this, Kate and I are going to see the, oversee the pastoral side of the church. And we're starting to look at putting in place just a small team to, to help support us in that. I guess ultimately, there's going to be, we're looking at having four layers of pastoral care. So at the top of the, that accountability, it's the elders. Then there's myself and Kate will just be helping practically pull everything together and be the point people. But then... That goes hand in hand with the support of the life group leaders. And also, finally, you know, it's down to you, experiencing group life together and extending your care to those who are around you. And actually, one example of this, I'd just like to take a moment to really publicly commend uh, Rachel Woodcraft and Maggie Godwin. Uh, they've been absolutely brilliant um, in terms of demonstrating an example to know and love someone within the church. They've gathered people together just to really help provide practically. So I'd just like to say, Rachel and Maggie, thank you so much for, for doing that. I know it's been a real blessing. To make sure that as a church we grow more and more into a place where people can be known and loved, ultimately, we need your help to build a family culture. So, what would you do about it? Kate and I have been really blessed by King's Church. There are so many wonderful people who've blessed us and continue to bless us. And I want this to both be a real encouragement, but also a real challenge. I think we need to take the good examples, the things that we, we are good at, and we should be building on them. And let's make sure that we build deep relationships where we know each other and love each, love each other. And I'd like to give you some examples, um, some personal examples of uh, our time at King's. I think they really help illustrate some of the biblical principles that we went through earlier, but also examples of how we've been known and loved in this family. And perhaps we can use these examples just to build on uh, and take forward. So first thing I want to talk about prayer. So we'd been married for three years, and we wanted, wanted to start a family. Uh, but it, well, it wasn't happening, and kind of the doctors didn't know uh, what they could do. It wasn't looking particularly hopeful. And then one morning, uh, a wonderful woman, who's actually sadly no longer at King's, but a great example of a spiritual mother, she, she prayed for Kate. And just a couple of months later, we found out that we were pregnant with Reuben. You know, having that support and being able to ask for prayer, knowing that we get it about a really personal subject in a loving manner was something that made a real difference to us. I think we need to practice gifts of the Spirit. 
Sir Andrew Smith in 2005, I don't know if you remember, it gave Kate and myself a handwritten note, and all it said was, are you thinking of going away? Somewhat arbitrary thing, perhaps, to write on a note. Um, but equally, as he gave it to us, he said, take it as an encouragement. Um, has God put on your hearts a desire to go away? And you should follow that desire. And what Andrew didn't know is that actually, for the weeks running up to that, Kate and I had been praying and considering leaving our jobs and going around Asia for three months. And actually, that word of knowledge was just such a wonderful confirmation that it was the right thing and the right time for us to do. We need to support each other. So when our kids were born, we got wonderful support from the church family. We got wisdom from other parents who had already been through it all. We got gracious babysitting, which is still going on and is a real blessing. We got meals provided for us. We got spiritual mothers and fathers who are training our children to be godly and to be loving. You know, the fact that I can come to church and know that it's not just me trying and not always succeeding to be the best dad that I can be, but actually I've got tens of people who are way more experienced than me also helping support me and Kate and my children. It gives me real strength. We need to build deep relationships. And personally, we found that the best way to do this is through group life at church. It's funny, isn't it? Society at the moment, you could argue, is at its most connected. With the power of the internet, we know loads about each other. At least, well, the good bits that have been Facebooked or Instagrammed. You know, we've never had such an opportunity to have a window into other people's lives. But also, you look at the statistics that society is probably also at its loneliest. To all of this connection, has it been achieved at the cost of a real community? Personally, I think that loss of community is probably a real part of the anxiety and pressure that people feel, I think particularly young people. Now, I'd argue that that alleged connectiveness has come at the cost of being truly known and truly loved. When you can unfriend or friend someone at the click of a button, you've lost any sense of a long-lasting and deep relationship. Something that I read recently really struck me, uh, or struck me about, I suppose, how to assess the depth of your relationships with someone, was whether or not you've got a Muppet friend. Now, this isn't a friend who's a green frog, but actually somebody who loves you enough and knows you well enough to tell you when you're being a Muppet. (laughs) Which I just thought was absolutely brilliant. So I'd really encourage all of us to try and find yourself a Muppet friend, or even several. So I hope these examples are are helpful. But just as we start to close, one thing uh, I did want to do is just jump back to that passage in John 4. Because with Jesus and the woman at the well, I think there are certain behaviours that they show, certain things that they say that are really helpful for us on how to respond to build a culture where we can be known and loved. So firstly, Jesus was accepting. So we should be accepting. Look at the way Jesus broke down cultural boundaries. He accepted the woman for who she was, didn't bother him about her background or her current situation. We should speak the gospel. Jesus spoke the gospel so clearly to the woman. We should use the Bible to encourage each other, to exhort each other. Let's have meaningful conversations that go beyond the, how are you, I'm all right, type comments. 
be open and vulnerable. The woman had to be open and vulnerable. If she'd kind of put down the shutters when Jesus was talking to her, her whole community wouldn't have been impacted. She started off, though, trying to deflect Jesus' comments. She tries to move from his personal questioning to a philosophical debate, but eventually it's clear that she did listen to Jesus. She hears what he's saying rather than retreating into her comfort zone. We need to persist. Jesus had to persist when the woman tried to de- deflect his questioning. Jesus carried on. We don't want to go around harassing people. But equally, let's work on building relationships. And this takes commitment and it takes persistence. Make time. And we see at the end of these chapters or at the end of these verses, Jesus changed his plans. He stayed for two days with a set of people that his culture would never have supported. He spent time with them to get to know them and to love them. And the fruit of this is that many came to know God. But that's the subject really for next week. So take a look at that list on the screen. I don't claim for a minute to say that's a complete list. But perhaps we could take a moment to think about what are some of those things or what are some other things that you can help do to build a family at King's Church where you can know and love other people and also be known and loved yourself. Perhaps consider how you engage with group life at King's. I think a, a challenge to all of us is let's break down some boundaries, move out of our comfort zones and just really work on building those deep relationships with each other. And that will require persistence and commitment and love and tenderness and, and many of the things that I've spoken about today. You know, what can you do to be a mother or a father to somebody? Can you help raise up brothers and sisters in the church? What should you do to be a brother or sister to somebody in the church? So I just think as we draw to a close, perhaps if the band could come up, Christy, I think, I think perhaps it would be really helpful if just perhaps individually spend a bit of time just really seeking God, thinking about some of the things perhaps and reflecting what's on the screen. I think as I guess Becca encourages us to do, you know, we're holding out our hands, just soaking up God's peace and God's love. I think there'll be a time to do that. But also perhaps um, feel free to get out of your seat and go and pray for somebody. Perhaps find somebody who you wouldn't currently define as your brother or sister, someone that maybe you don't know them that well. And perhaps there's something that you can pray together, perhaps have a conversation. Um, I think start building those relationships, deepen those relationships with each other. So perhaps if the band can play, I'll just perhaps I'll start off with a prayer, but then it's up to you guys. If you want to get up out of your seat, get some prayer, either at the front, find somebody to pray with, or sit in your seat and just soak up God's presence. That's up to you. So Father, I just thank you that you're our perfect Father. And I thank you that you've clearly set out the church to be a place that's already got your Holy Spirit, that's already got a spirit of unity. And that's not something that we have to try for, but it's something that's there already. But Father, I just pray that that spirit will continue to help us be brothers and sisters to each other. I 
pray that where there's perhaps hurt and pain, where things that have happened in the past are holding us back. Father, I just pray that there will be forgiveness and healing in that, Lord. And I just pray that we'll be able to support each other as a church family. I just pray you'll help us be open and vulnerable to each other. I pray that we'll be committed to each other and that we will persist. Father, I just thank you so much for the perfect examples you've given us. And I just really pray that we'll hold on to that and that you'll just continue to bless us and that you'll continue, just Father, to really bless King's Church. We want it to be a place where we can all be known and we can be loved. It's a place where we can use that as a springboard to go out and make people.